0: Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casello, and with me today is special guest, Kevin Wall.
1: Hey, John. Hello, everyone. How are we doing?
0: Doing well on this end. Uh, Kevin, I hope you and yours are doing well on your end. I know everybody's uh, quarantined but, to some extent, but luckily podcasting is a perfect medium for that, since you don't have to be in the same room if you don't want to be. We are
1: practicing safe social distancing right now.
0: Yeah, we are We are a socially distant 3,000 plus miles away.
1: Yeah, I don't know if we can get more socially distant than what we are.
0: If you were in Maine and I was in San Diego, we would, would, would be yeah. in the continental U.S. anyway.
1: Yeah, right. but we're doing pretty well. We're doing pretty
0: well on it. Yeah, I mean, everybody in general, hope everyone stays safe, tries to avoid going outside. Well, you can go outside, but tries to avoid being in public with too many people. Um, obviously, I know there's been a run on stuff in stores, but, you know, if you can minimize store trips, hopefully work from home if you can. Um, it's going to be an interesting and, and, and kind of scary at some t- points, like four to eight weeks. But if, if, if everybody plays along, I actually think like the sooner we do that, the sooner everything kind of gets back to normal um in in some respects but you know that could be optimistic i'm also not a doctor um, but yeah i i would say that the, as much as everyone can minimize uh just contact with everybody else um the the the, the sooner we'll we'll at least get back to some semblance of of, of normalcy uh,
1: exactly we can get back to more uh discussions on syracuse football and basketball in the next
0: year yeah since uh since it's a good segue for SU sports being canceled, along with a lot of other sports, um, for the foreseeable future. Um, spring sports are also out for SU, so a men's lacrosse season that could have ended in a national title um, wiped off the boards, although we, uh, we already hung a banner on Nude's Magician. Um, women's lacrosse team that could have competed for a national title, um, that's out the window. Basketball team that maybe could have gone on a run um, on the men's side, uh, that's also kind of wiped out. Uh, it's been weird but we're uh we're we're still just short of a week into this and, and and luckily as i was talking to you guys on staff um we're kind of uniquely built for this environment kevin
1: yeah i think it you know we're able to kind of fill in some of these gaps with um relevant sports conversation and then also our jokes and garbage to help kind of lighten the mood and um uh, you know, provide some content, a little bit of a escape for everyone. I know for me working on some of this stuff is a nice nice little break from what's going on and, and all the stress and worry. Um, so I think we're we've got a good start to it with Andy's social dis- distancing activities as sports ranked. And I thought that was a good kick off for, you know, what people can expect from the the folks at News the Magician moving forward.
0: Yeah, we'll have plenty more stuff like that um for those listening and hoping that we uh we, we figure something out. I mean realistically like you know the, the college sports is a pretty long off season and and usually once uh once the cross season wraps up uh, the blog does kind of shift into off season mode and you know kind of get to know your orange man and, and all these other off season activities that we usually have so um we're going to try to avoid jumping into the uh the typical off season activities too early um but we're, we're introducing some new ones like Kevin mentioned um, we have some, you know, random, random rankings posts. Um, we'll have random beer posts, uh, Marvel Comics posts, maybe book club posts, TV shows, things like that. Um, right. And then, Kevin, you, uh, you started us off with a uh, a bracket today, since we didn't have a bracket to fill out. Um, you started us off with a uh, a bracket of the top sixteen teams since nineteen seventy five for uh, for Syracuse men's basketball.
1: Right. Yeah. We kicked that off today and be curious for, you know, get people to participate. Obviously um like most of us, you probably, everybody missed uh, filling out that bracket, whether last night or this morning um, or multiple brackets, depending on how, uh, how you handle things. So we thought we could provide a little bit of that uh, same a similar feel to people moving forward. And a good way to kick it off would be to keep it with basketball and, you know, we'll, we'll see if anybody can knock off the 2003 champion. Um, be really curious as we get down. Uh, this first round went pretty much as we expected or I expected. It wasn't really too close in any of the contests. And as we get down to eight and they move forward towards the end of the week, we'll see um, who emerges. I, I would imagine that the 2003 team is going to go on a pretty easy run to that final final matchup and I'll be curious to see who gets the nod on that second one I think there's some recency bias I think there's maybe some teams from the 80s that we might have overlooked as we put together or I put together the list and the seeding but i um, be curious to see how it how it whittles down as we go through the week
0: yeah I noticed there was some love for a couple 80s teams in there in the comments um, for those that didn't see uh, the top four seeds um, according to Kevin and, and and myself to some extent um 2003 uh team the 2010 team the 1987 team and the 2012 team were the top 4 seeds um notably two of those teams did not make the final four um 1996 team was the 5 seed 2013 team was the 6 seed um numerous others that you're familiar with uh going through the top 16 um notably people were annoyed that the uh what was the 1988 team was not on here yeah. mm-hmm. um, the 2016 team um also a final four squad was not on here um 2016 team was the only final four team not to end up on this list um 1975 team was an eight seed uh, yep. in this one i actually think did the 19 did they get knocked out yeah the 75 team actually get knocked out by the uh by the 2000 team
1: yes yep that was our one upset of the first round if you call it an eight nine matchup an upset so um, and I think so much to be expected. I, I don't think there are as many people that are as familiar with the 75 team and, and what they look like in, against their competition. And it was uh, tricky to get down to those last couple and, you know, made a call to, you know, got to have a little controversy when the seating gets done and someone's going to get left out and feel that they should have been in the field. And, uh, you know, maybe that 16 team was shorted being a final four squad, but based on how they played that entire year, I don't know that I would put them in, you know, that top 16 of going back 45 years. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, realistically, like they had a nice four game run, but they didn't necessarily look great for any extended stretch um, in, in that season. So I, I certainly agree with you um, on, on how those seedings sh- shook out. Um, I agree too. Like, it is is kind of weird, like, Having a bracket like this, obviously the number one seed and and the winner is kind of almost predetermined um, by the fact that SU's only won one title. If we had won a few, um, perhaps there's more of a competition to be had. But with one championship, I think it's pretty obvious who's going to win. But as you mentioned, it'll be interesting to see how um, things shake out. The 2010 team got 95% of the vote in in their first round matchup. Um, The 87 team got 85% of their vote in their first rounder um there's some potential upset talk if you want to you know entertain the 2013 right. team as a six seed um i don't think the 2012 team has much of a chance um as a four seed against the, the the one seed 2003 but at the same time like if any team um could pull it off i'd say it's either them or 2010 um just two right. really two really beloved teams of recent vintage um that kind of get you know the, the full scope of the fan base out and no matter how old you are obviously you understand and appreciate you know the older teams but obviously everyone's been around for for the for the more recent squads um you know, some of us have to kind of like reacclimate ourselves or or completely you know introduce ourselves for the first or or for the you know not first necessarily but read up on things that we may not have either been alive for or things that we were just too young to remember um, of, of those 80s squads of which there were quite a few really good ones
1: Right, and you get older, like I do, and some of the years blend into each other. And I had to go back and look at who was on the 2000, and who was left on 2004, and, and you know who was left in the 80, the 88, and 89 teams after the the championship team, and trying to trying to figure out and square it. And I think the 2010 and 2012, despite being short of the final four, we all watched how consistently good those teams were throughout the entire season. And I think that's what kind of tipped things into their favor. It, you, Like you mentioned, uh, the 2016 team went on a nice four-game run, and, and teams can certainly get hot for stretches during the season. But when you go wire to wire um, and are consistently good, I think that speaks to the overall quality of the team. And I think that's what put those, in my mind, those two squads ahead of some of the others. And um, I put 96 in there too because – you know, that was a team that didn't expect too much, uh, going into the tournament and, and got hot at the right time and, and caught a couple of breaks. And, and of course that epic game against Georgia and, and, you know, they find themselves in the, in the title game, even though I don't know that they would be without that run, if you would even, if they would even make this list. And, and so those four games can certainly swing a lot, but, but the 10 and 12 teams just were probably, uh, regular season-wise, uh, better than anybody that we've had in, in a long time, uh, maybe going back to that 87 team and, and just how good they were.
0: Yeah, I mean, for as much as the 2003 team obviously takes the cake as a title team, um, I, I I contend that the 2010-2012 teams were pretty close in terms of regular season dominance um, and obviously some uh, extenuating circumstances on both ends uh, prevented both of those squads from being able to make the Final Four, although the 2012 team did get pretty close. Um, yeah. For, for as much as I love the 2010 team and that they were the better team with the better chance to win the title that season, um, the 2012 team, you know, did get to the Elite Eight, uh, did come pretty close against Ohio State, even without that. So a bummer, yeah, they, they, but, mm-hmm. oh, go for it.
1: No, I was going to say the 2012 season I thought was better overall in college basketball. So what they did uh, might stand out as more impressive. Um, you know, I, I'm partial to the 2010 team just for the way they were constructed and played. Um, but that season, I don't think, compares to the, the talent that was in college basketball in 2012. So, you know, what that 12 team did and to almost make it, um, you know, being at, in Boston at that game, is they fell just short to a really talented Ohio State team, um, you know, speaks a lot for, for what, what group they had and, and how good they were.
0: Yeah, I mean, that 2010 team was my senior year. Uh, so it was a rough pill to swallow to see, you know, the AO injury and knowing what it was going to potentially do to us and then losing the Butler. Um, don't really yeah. need to remind SU fans of, uh, of what transpired there. Um, right. But I guess, speaking of runs, Kevin, um, obviously, like, we'll never know what happened to this Syracuse basketball team. I mean, we know we know what things look like, um, right. you know, after the regular season, we know what things look like for stretches of the regular season. We know what things look like in the big win over UNC in the, uh, in the second round of the ACC tournament. But like, do you, do, do you feel bummed that you couldn't see how they could close it out? Or do you, or, or do you resign yourself to knowing that we were probably going to lose to Louisville and that was likely going to be it?
1: a little of both. I think I resigned myself that it would have been really unlikely to get those two wins. Um, But as well as they played against Carolina, you kind of wanted to see it through. Um, But in some sense, it was probably the best way for this team to end this season. Um, You know, there's a lot of differing opinions about this group and what it was and what Jim Beheim did. But the fact was, is that they lost a lot of games that they probably shouldn't have all throughout the year. And they lost it because they couldn't finish a half. And that, Run they had at the end of the first half against UNC was their best stretch of basketball the entire year. Um, maybe save for Buddy Bayheims and Fuego at Virginia Tech. Um, so seeing them finally put a half together like that it was a little bittersweet because you're like, oh, this is great. And, you know, that's the thing that a lot of people remember from the season. And that's a good memory to have in an overall disappointing season. But at the same time, you're like, whoa, did they really figure it out? And, you know, Barama Sadibe came on strong towards the end. and. And things were clicking, and so you wondered, well, could they have gotten Louisville? Especially a team like Louisville that relies a lot on the three-point shot, which you know teams can go cold for a game, and you never know what happens. So, uh, mixed emotions, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know I wrote about this, um, you know, last week. On the one hand, a bummer to see it, to see us not be able to to, to watch everything play out. Um, on the other hand, you can kind of write your own ending on this one. Um, it was a weird season. It was disappointing one in many regards. There was a lot of what if, I think, in both directions. Like, this team could have easily been even worse. If you look at the, the one, uh, you know, single digit games, um, those could have been a lot better um, if you look at single digit games. I know we started the season by, like, I think it was 10 or 12 in a row, where every game was double digits, and then almost every game for the rest of the season uh, was single digits. So it goes to show how, like, kind of razor thin the margins were and also how much SU did improve um, in large part. Um, throughout the year obviously you know you wrote about it I wrote about it others did too um, about certain aspects that just never seemed to click um the way we needed them to for this team but now weirdly um we're not gonna see this team put some of those things together next year because it seems like everybody's transferring out of the program
1: yeah I mean like everybody so uh you know, we went from last week probably thinking, oh, next year we'll come back. And, you know, if you only lose Elijah Hughes, uh, look at the depth this team will have. Uh, the two freshmen that are coming in, Woody Newton and Kadari Richmond, wouldn't have to be immediate contributors right away. You know, you're thinking about bringing back depth at the backcourt, depth in the front court, the possibility of a, a grad transfer or two to help that front court out. And you're thinking, wow, this, this team could take a huge leap in in one season and then the Bryson Goodine news news hit and you're like okay well they can still you know have some depth with Jalen Carey and Howard Washington and then the next day nope those guys are leaving and then oh Robert Braswell might be going too so now you're looking at a roster that's going to return three guards and and now all of a sudden the depth is a concern and then there's talk about Syracuse isn't the preferred destination for Patrick Tape or Seth Towns, uh, that's graduate transfers, the Ivy guys. And so now you're like, well, what are they going to do with these open scholarships? Are there other transfers that are going to come in? Um, is there potentially another uh, Marek Dolzhai, Jesse Edwards, player hiding over in Europe that Syracuse is going to grab at this late moment, but there's a lot more uncertainty than we had last Friday.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, I think you and I and others talked about it on noon Slack for a little bit. Um, plugging in transfers and, and, and plugging in, uh, you know, kind of new to the U.S. game, foreign players, is one thing. If you are using them as role players, um, it's a whole other thing if you're trying to plug in transfers as starters um, right away. And luckily, we do have guards um, who played starting minutes for most of the year, um, and Buddy Bayheim and uh, Joe Girard. Uh, however, like if you're, you're adding a grad transfer, you're probably not adding them so that they can come in off the bench um, in many cases and realistically like I think buddy yeah like buddy played a really great season. Gerard was kind of like up and down and and obviously like both had their defensive struggles here and there. I'd be curious to see if you ended up with just kind of like a three guard rotation if, if the if the third guard was big enough if you could maybe push him out to the three here and there if you wanted to go a smaller lineup um in in general like i'm just a little worried too based on the fact that okay now like there's probably not going to be any uh, on-campus visits or in-home visits until you know late may potentially Um, you're not going to be able to go to europe to scout um or 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 attract you know some talent over there until may june Um, and by that point like you're getting a little late in the cycle like i do feel like this is a I'm not going to say this is the absolute worst case scenario. Obviously things could get considerably worse for the orange, but um, I do feel like this is a really big problem um, for SU um, just in terms of filling out next year's roster and really, uh, you know, going from a team that had some, um, some experience and, and, and enough, you know, depth that that you could figure it out to now a team that once again, is going to, going to be a six, seven man rotation at most. Um, is going to be introducing, so, uh, you know, a, a lot of new faces um, all over again.
1: So, yeah, my concern is that, you know, I thought if you come back with Jalen Carey and Bryson eye and Howard Washington, those are your better defensive guards, and none of them have really shown a lot of offensive um, firepower in their time at Syracuse, like Gerard and Bayheim have done. But you could possibly slide Buddy down to the three um, against a smaller team. Uh, you can have him play the wing where maybe the lateral quickness isn't as big of an issue, especially if you have a smaller team that isn't necessarily a great shooting team, thinking like Boston college or Pitt teams that weren't going to burn you from the three point line. Um, and then you have Goodine and carry who are those prototypical Syracuse top of the zone guards, you know, long wingspan, quick anticipate. And those guys would also let you slide Gerard off the ball where I thought he was actually better this year. Um, I know he was kind of thrust into that role. Um, being the team's point guard. And the numbers, the assisted turnovers look pretty good, but I don't think he really ran the offense too well. And and I thought he was much better shooting the ball when he would plant his feet and set his feet and catch a pass, whether it was in transition or in the half-court offense. You know, overall for a guy with his sort of hype coming in to be under 35% from the field for an entire season is tough, um, even as a freshman. And it's something that you feel like almost like Jerry McNamara when he played point guard more after the Billy Eaton issues he was still able to score but his shooting numbers never were the same um or as good as they should have been because there's just so much wear and tear on your teams are going to make you work a lot harder bringing the ball up they're going to work make you work on defense with a lot of screens and and over the course of a long season it's going to wear someone down and especially someone who's not as uh, you know maybe not as big or athletic initially and so now you, you're hoping that Richmond is ready, that you can add some other depth um, that will give some flexibility. The other thing is you, you lose another weapon in your defensive arsenal, which is the press. Um, you know, for all of the issues with Jordan and Bayheim in the zone, defensively, you know, what they can give you offensively sometimes outweighs that. But when Syracuse was in situations, and I think of the North Carolina game in the Dome where they were trying to get back in the game and they went to the full court press, when you have two guards that can't stop people from just beating the press, dribbling or passing through it pretty easily, it's hard to use that as an effective defensive weapon. It's hard to switch and go man to man if you don't trust your guards to, to stay in front of anybody. And so it'll be really interesting to see how Jim Beheim's able to uh, cobble together and construct this roster when, when things get started back next fall.
0: Yeah. Like I don't even know where to start. And I don't even know if it's worth like speculating about what happens next. I mean, there there's so many i mean most a lot of these guys we we haven't necessarily seen them coming until they 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 commit right. um, as far as these last minute ads. so I, i'm not going to go down that rabbit hole just yet especially with a long off season ahead of us um i what, some of the things you did bring up though um you know like how do we bring in some better defenders but better defenders who can shoot like i think the game's changed so much uh you know from a basketball standpoint college basketball and in the nba uh, in particular where like you know you can't just bring in like this like lockdown defender but he also can't hit shots like especially at at, at either the guard positions like that's just so tough
1: i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal
0: each week you'll hear us in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together i didn't want to do another stomp you out speech it opened up so many more doors the show is called the The deal Deal. listen to the deal listen to the deal on spotify so like i don't necessarily know if the type of guy that fay brought in in the past um can necessarily work you know you also brought up like how the how like gerard was a point guard yes but like I'd say, Elijah probably ran the offense, and Daligay was also probably the best facilitator um, mm-hmm. on the team. So, like, it, it, it's a weird construction uh, of a lineup because, like, your best passer is you know a six eleven, um, like thin power forward slash center, um, and 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 the guy running your offense is just like is also your best shooter. Like, so he's not necessarily going to be a great facilitator all the time, and like that's not a knock on Elijah. Use it's, it's more about um, the necessity that SU had to uh, to thrust him into the limelight as the main offensive weapon.
1: And I'm not going to say that it's at the same level, but I would suggest that Jim Beheim call up Steve Kerr and grab some Warriors footage um, and look at how they use Draymond Green as a facilitator. Uh, you know, and again, not putting the Syracuse players on the level of, of those Warriors players, but you know, Golden State ran a lot of the offense through Draymond Green at the top of the key and Thompson and Curry running off wings, running off screens to get better shots um, and movement off the ball. And it's something that Dolezal is really adept at. Uh, He's the one Syracuse player who actually passed the ball to Barama Sadibe consistently throughout the year. And, you know, for all the knocks on Fadibe, when you have a guy who shoots 70% from the field in ACC play, he should average more than three and a half shots per game. And a lot of that is because Syracuse players as a team don't look for him when he, when he rolls to the basket, they, they don't run plays for him and Dola is one of those guys who, you know, it's just his nature is to look for an open player, regardless of who they are. And so I think you could, you could put together some kind of offense where he is the facilitator from the top of the key. Um, his ball handling improved a little bit. He's got to get better around the rim finishing um, to make it more effective. But, It'll be curious to see what Bayheim comes up with. He He's a Hall of Fame coach. He, he tweaked the offense this year effectively. And, and so I'll be curious with this time what he's able to construct.
0: Agreed, agreed. Uh, Kevin, I want to keep talking about this, but why don't we do a little halftime first. Uh, what have you been drinking for the last uh, last week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever whatever time range you're looking at?
1: So we're, we're dropping this for St. Patrick's Day, and uh, so I've been with the Irish Ale, and, and this year's choice was great from Great Lakes. It's the Captain Conway Red Ale, um, one of my favorite Irish Reds, and definitely appropriate for this time of year.
0: Nice, yeah, I uh, I do love Great Lakes stuff. Um, I don't know if I've ever had that one, but I, I'm, I'm typically not in the in the Great Lakes distribution area um, around this time of year but next time i'm uh I'm there I'll be sure to to seek that one out all right uh on my end uh didn't have a ton just kind of stocked up uh on on beer along with some other stuff last week like everybody else um had some uh Luponic distortion number fifteen um the uh quarterly i p a series from uh from Byerson walker and then also had some uh russian river um what the hell was it called opening on tap because I don't remember the name of the beer I really want to they actually found it like from a recipe of an old brewery that used to be there Uh, it's a Velvet Glow it was a Hell's Lager Um, it was super good uh, dry a little hoppy uh, definitely an enjoyable one Um, also found myself drinking some more Bud Light Seltzer Mango not gonna lie (laughs) we don't have to go down that road anymore we won't go down
1: that road I won't mention the PBR hard coffee I was drinking on Saturday so thanks (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, you know what? I'll, I'll, P- PBR is my, like, bowling beer. Uh-huh. Uh,
1: I'll have to say the hard coffee is not too bad if you're a, someone who's a coffee drinker.
0: I mean, it's, I'm not a coffee drinker anymore, but, like, I, I could potentially give it a shot. Yeah, I, I, There's just so many, like, in, yeah, I guess there's, like, so many weird options out there. I don't know, if, like, if they're... I don't know if interesting is the right word, but, like, weird is definitely the right word.
1: Um, it's I'm one of those things where... I feel like if it wasn't PVR hard coffee, it might be a better seller. Like if you could, if they would have branded it with like Duncan or, or right. I'm not like Starbucks isn't going to go for it, but some coffee franchise, it probably would be a much bigger thing than what it is. But, but anyway, or you could always do the Irish thing and throw a, a shot of whiskey in your coffee um, after work tomorrow and, and celebrate responsibly at a social distance.
0: Yeah. yeah. I don't want this be an entire coronavirus PSA, but I hope everybody's just kind of, kind of staying home for this one. And uh, you know what? You, you want to do some Irish car bombs? You want to do whatever? Like you can do that probably in the comfort of your own home, apartment, condo, wherever you may live. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, but back to some SU basketball, Kevin. Um, I think that the, you brought up a great point on the you know Marika Sadibe connection. Um, I'd love to see that develop more uh The fact that mark's going to be a senior is uh is pretty weird um I, I feel like i feel like we've only i still feel like we've only scratched the surface of what he can do um and like as much as i don't want to like hammer jim i'll also say that like i think the failure to really unlock him at least at this point um has definitely been a black eye in in, in terms of like the last few years.
1: Yeah, I think um you know, there's been a couple of things the last couple of years that I think have been frustrating. I look at what O'Shea Brissett's done in the G League, and I think back to how Syracuse used him standing stationary outside the three-point line and then expected him to get the ball and dribble by guys. And we saw a little bit with Quincy Garrier last year, or this season I should say, you know, they're not effective taking the ball from 20 feet and getting to the basket by defenders like an Elijah Hughes. And we don't seem to run as many like back cuts or lobs or, um, you know, it's it seems to be like, all right, well, these guys are going to shoot. You go get the offensive rebound. And with Dolajai this year we saw portions where the offense ran through him, especially early in games where he had mismatches, but we never saw like him and Hughes in a two man game. Um, you know, him being the screener for Buddy or Gerard where he could roll to the basket and gave them an outlet to pass it. And, and this is no knock on Sidibe, who's like Pascal Chukwu. When, when you call those guys out 22 feet from the basket to set a screen, um, the defender's going to ignore them because they know no one's going to give them the ball 20 feet from the basket. They're not a threat to take that shot. They're not a threat to catch the ball and to dribble twice or pass the ball. And so it'll be interesting. Um, Jesse Edwards looks like a guy who could be in that sort of pick and pop role at the high post. Um, which could be interesting, especially as he develops along with someone like Gerard. I mean, that could be a real interesting two man game because, you know, defenders are gonna want to hedge on Gerard and not give him an open look, but if he's got a seven footer that can knock down a jump shot with him, um, and I think there's just a lot of things and, and I think I know um, you know, Beheim's stubborn and he, he runs his sort of spread offense and a lot of isolations and and but I think this team spent a long time relying on the three-point shot before he finally realized, hey, we're not really that good out there, but we've got a lot of size, and if we get into the lane, we can be effective. And hopefully they can figure that out what next year's team is going to be early on and not wait until the end of the non-conference schedule to realize what they can and can't do.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think this past year it's a little more understandable if only because there were so many new faces um, jumping into the lineup. I think next year, like, obviously you're going to have some change. but a lot of these guys are going to be holdovers. You know, you're, despite, you know, the the transfer news and everything, you're still bringing back four out of five starters. Um, I mean, obviously, like, one injury kind of downs a lot of your hopes. But, like, right. you do bring back four out of five starters. I think all four of those players should be better, um, at least offensively, um, in, in right. the 2020-2021 season. So, yeah, like, like you said, but you should be able to figure out what you are um pretty early on i think a lot's going to depend on you know who's who's playing the three um and who you bring in via transfer obviously if someone can come and be a transfer um and 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 play the zone with with any sort of you know efficiency then as long as they can knock down shots like i think they'll fit right in but there's there's a lot of guys entering the transfer portal right now and, and i think we're just scratching the surface on who those players may be um I think hopefully somebody's out there who's looking for like both playing time and maybe a little bit of a showcase in the ACC uh, and understands that like, you know, while Buddy's going to take his shots, while Gerard's going to take his shots, like if, if, if you're a knockdown guy uh, like like Elijah Hughes was, um, you're going to get your touches and, and you're going to be able to, to to put up some points um, despite the fact that there's plenty of, of offensive weapons already on this team.
1: Yeah. To me, this team could use another Andrew White, uh, a guy that can play the three, that has the ability to, to you know, hit deep shots, but, you know, really offensive-minded, and whether they're a starter or a bench guy, because even if you're sliding Gary into that role, um, you have a front court that really doesn't show much outside shooting. Um, you have a good amount of size, though, so you could be a team that, that has to exploit those mismatches. Um, but if you could find a, a, a player that's similar, almost to Andrew White, was when Syracuse grabbed him as a grad transfer someone who could slide into that three spot or two three off off the bench um, can make some shots and you know pick up enough on the zone I know that that squad wasn't very good defensively, but I think that as time went on, white came into where he was a, an okay um, zone defender and and obviously his offense kind of offset what might have been some of the defensive limitations and You know, you just got to kind of take what you can get at this point, whether it's a grad transfer or another transfer who looks that rule is probably going to get passed at some point before the next uh, athletic season starts, where transfers will get that one time where they don't have to sit. Um, So you'll be looking at whoever you get from the portal should be able to come in and play right away
0: yeah which would honestly be great and, and and you know if you can i know it's going to be tough without guys being able to visit campuses and stuff like that for a while but if you can find a way to to add you know an experienced an experienced three you know maybe some like, like i don't want you to push gary a down i think gary a can be a really effective sixth man at at the very least um but if you can just bring in a couple guys you can who can hit shots um you know and maybe it's like i don't think you need a three point specialist necessarily but uh, another guy can hit jump shots um, and, and and then, you know, a, a defender at the one or two spot um, who can just, you know, spell Buddy or, or Gerard for some mm-hmm. minutes um, and, 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 you know, give them a little bit of rest. Um, right. uh, I, I, take we- e- I take either or both of those in a sec.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And it takes it's less pressure. I know some people are probably listening going, well, that's who... That's what Woody Newton can do. He can play the three or four and knock down shots. Kadari Richmond's a big guard who could spell guys at the one and the two. And, and what you get from your freshmen is fine. But I think, you know, we're not looking at neither one of those guys as one of those top ten high school players, whether you expect them to come in and be able to make a huge impact right away. So if you can add some experience and if those guys can come along great, then, then you've replaced that depth that you we've talked about losing. But if not, then they've got some time to grow into the, into those roles.
0: Yeah, I mean, unless you have, like, that lottery-level talent right away, you probably want a freshman to be able to grow into that role mm-hmm. um, in, in many cases. Um, speaking of growing to roles, I think before we uh, depart today, uh, I did want to talk football quick, Kevin. Um, I know you're one of the handful of uh, folks on the blog that kind of, you know, does both. Uh, we have our basketball staff, our football staff, and then, like, Kevin, me, and a couple others kind of hover around both um, sports along with some other stuff. Um, Kevin, are you concerned about the fact that, um, we now don't have a spring practice to install a new defense and like aspects of a new offense?
1: Yeah, I think definitely. Um, I'm not as worried about the install of the playbooks because I think there's a lot that can be done through whether film work or, or work with individual staff members. I'm worried about timings in terms of position. Um, So how does the offensive line work as a unit? How does Tommy DeVito work with new wide receivers? Um, How does the defense, I think is a bigger question for me, is switching to that 3-3-5. That's a lot more on where players' responsibilities are going to be. I think the offense, you can kind of pick up a little bit more through meetings and film and some of that. Even the stuff with Devito and the receivers can get on the same page with just uh, over the summer playing almost like the seven-on-seven route trees, but that defense and trying to figure out how where players are going to be, and not only their assignments but knowing where their teammates are going to be, so that you don't have situations where uh, guys don't trust those who are around them, and instead of playing their spot, playing the you know doing the play the way it's called they're worried about covering for somebody else. And as we saw last year, that's when players get out of position and that's when you give up big plays.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, there was definitely a lot of just nobody would – like, for half the year, I felt like no one necessarily was on board for, like, where they were supposed to be. Um, And then there was, like – then things started kind of settling down, I think, after uh, after Brian Ward was released – um, but you still saw some mistakes. I think the one player that obviously sticks out whenever you watch the Syracuse game um, was Andre Cisco. um despite the fact the cameras rarely focused on the secondary. Uh, I think you, you kind of always knew where Cisco was. I think off- offenses knew where Cisco was, and the fact that it was it didn't matter um, in terms of him making big plays. obviously there there's some risk involved. um, but I think Cisco, and, and we talked about this in the site before, like Cisco' is one of the like only players I've witnessed in recent years at Syracuse. To, like, not just get better year over year, but get better, like, game after game. Right. Um, Cisco like, rarely makes the same mistake twice. Um, and, and that's something, like, really, really valuable, especially for, you know, a guy in the secondary who, like, he does need to have a short memory. He does need to, to forget getting burned on a play. He doesn't need to, to, you know, forget, you know, like, wanting to, to redeem himself um, as much as just, you know, getting back into formation and, and making the play. Um, so Cisco's a guy that you know I think is going to hopefully you know help solidify this defense. But you, you look at the rest of this team, you know, no Chris Frederick, no Evan Foster. Um, they'll hit reset linebacker at both positions uh, with Armstrong and LaKeem Williams gone, um, and then over on the defensive line, you know, you lose potentially two NFL players and Alton Robinson and and Kendall Coleman. Right. So yeah, so like that, that, that resets not easy. The resets even harder now if Tony White's in, installing a new three three five system. Um, so color me at least a little concerned, um, but, but I do think in some ways that maybe having the younger players helps because then there's less to like re-instruct and it's more just like right. first-time teaching.
1: Exactly. And, and you know, it also, you mentioned it too, and I think it was in the comments, uh, opening at BC and then Rutgers two programs, which are also not only flipping coordinators, but flipping entire staff and, and systems. And catching those two teams early on may be even more beneficial after what's going on now, because they're not having the opportunity to get their full installs as well. So, it's a little bit better than going to Clemson and facing a team that didn't really need to have, you know, their practices to just hit the ground running. So,
0: yeah, I think there's a real benefit. I know, like we were talking about schedule construction like months ago, and and kind of SU in some ways we thought they were headed for Clemson then they seemed to dodge a bullet. Uh, I I, I think as time's gone on, we're we're, going to see how much um, SU benefited from, you know, the ACC and Boston college switching around that, uh, that opener um, and ending up with with Syracuse is I think now um, as you know, SU doesn't have to get bludgeoned to death by, by the Tigers. And and, and that can really be a a deflating game um, for, for a lot of players and a lot of young players in particular. I think, like we'll never necessarily know for sure, but I do feel like that Maryland loss last year um, where SU coaching staff and players really got caught flat footed. Um, I, I think that was big, the, the deflation of that probably lasted until the Duke game.
1: Right. Yeah. I think a veteran team might've been able to bounce back from that, but you had a team that wasn't used to, and a staff that wasn't used to dealing with that sort of adversity. And like you said, it definitely had a hangover effect and, you know, the, to come out of that game and then have Clemson and, you know, they hung with them for a while and then that got away and then that just, you know, kind of compounded. Whereas, you know, now this year, I think the team's a little bit better suited to how to respond. It took a while for them to grow last year. And then hopefully they don't have to go through that adversity early. They can find some success. And we certainly have seen what what happens when you get early success and you kind of get that feeling that you can beat anybody going for you. headed. Um, as the season gets on
0: fingers crossed there um kevin anything else that you want to note before we uh before we depart for the week
1: so uh, the only thing i would add is if people have some content suggestions or things they'd like to see over the site to definitely let us know and and we'll do our best to kind of deliver what the fans want um not just what we want to provide but what people (laughs) are looking for during this time so definitely don't hesitate to reach out to us
0: yeah, obviously we're all on Twitter. Um, you can just talk to us in the comments, um, shoot us an email. Like We definitely want to hear from people um, because, like we said, this, uh, this off-season is going to be a little more extended than usual. Um, typically, things get started uh, mid to late May um, in that regard. Get to know your orange starts in early May. Um, this year, obviously, we get like another month and a half, two months of this. Uh, so we're going to get creative. Um, but yeah, we, we can get more creative, I guess, with your help. And if we have lead times on things that we can actually invest in, um, you know, the sort of like time and graphics, I guess, heavy, uh, you know, nonsense that, that, that used to be a hallmark of the site. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and obviously just like no one has the time to, to do things like the Octonian, um, necessarily anymore, but, um, we, we, with the right amount of lead time, we can at least try to do some things in a similar vein.
1: Absolutely. All right.
0: Well, Kevin, really appreciate you hopping in for Dan this week. And I uh, oh, hope you and you your family stay me. safe. Yep, thank you. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem, Everybody, you've been listening to Troy Noon's An Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, on Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Overcast, anywhere else you listen to podcasts. And go Orange!